Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. Welcome back. Take a look at the news of the day, thoughtful conversation, going deep about things that matter. John Hinderocker helps us go deep. He joins us today. He's one of the founders of Powerline. Mm-hmm. He's the president of the Center of the American Experiment. Also joined by producer Claude Jennings. Hello, Claude. Dr. Bennett, how are you? I'm all right. Okay. All right. All right. A few things I'd like to discuss. We have a house in Washington. We also have a house in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We haven't made a final decision where we're doing Thanksgiving. Oh, right. Yeah. So do you think we have a turkey in each place? Well, I would decide just on one and have one turkey in one place. I would do it in North Carolina, to be honest with you. You forgot Mrs. Bennett's program at Thanksgiving. Two yeah. turkeys. Two turkeys, right? One, right. One, the first one is the practice turkey. <laughs> And it's there for gravy, whether it works right. or not. It right. produces gravy. Mm-hmm. So we have four turkeys, best <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> and I think four people or six people, you know, for mm-hmm. dinner. Right, right. And these turkeys are about 20 pounds each. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so a we lot. We got 80, 80 pounds of turkey for six mm-hmm. people. So so I know you got you go around the beltway with your plate, you know. Right. Your grandmother and your aunt and all that. You probably mm-hmm. ought to stop at our place. I probably should. I mean, it's just, I, I just don't know. But yeah, I love turkey. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of these people who says, why the heck do you have to wait? Right. Thanksgiving. I mean, I just, <laughs> let's, let's have it every week. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. If you remember, one of the best discussions we had on Morning in America, the radio show, and this is one that came spur of the moment, uh, we were talking about what's going on for Thanksgiving. And um, I had made mention to macaroni and cheese. And you were looking macaroni and cheese i think chris beach the same way i'm like yeah macaroni and cheese you got to have macaroni and cheese at thanksgiving and um and so then it spurred this whole big conversation about black black thanksgiving versus white thanksgiving yeah <laughs> and you know like well black macaroni and cheese is not a, a dish like oh well, black thanksgiving it is and that, it just it is, reminds is that me of, a standard oh you know collard greens collard greens and macaroni and cheese is a standard at black thanksgiving but i had no clue that it wasn't a staple in other in other homes you know but it just in, in, in the times we live in now, it, it just reminded me of a great, you know, just a fun segment where we talked about food, Thanksgiving. We talked well, about race and nobody's mad. Well, let's heighten racial differences right now. OK, <laughs> why don't. Yes, let's do it. There was something about mayonnaise. Huh. OK. And the use of mayonnaise. Oh, yeah. Black families. We don't usually use mayonnaise for anything, really. You don't. No, not really. Nope. I mean, I have a, well, how do you make potato salad? Yeah, I guess you would use it for that. See, I'm also not a not a cook, so I don't cook anything. But you don't use macro uh, mayonnaise on sandwiches. No, 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 no mustard or honey mustard, something, anything other than mayonnaise. <laughs> and that is is that a black thing? Uh, all the black people that I've been raised around, and know, yes, <laughs> they don't use mayonnaise. You know, wouldn't say you want mayonnaise on that sandwich. Too no, we don't even really talk about mayonnaise. Okay, well, see, there you go. <laughs> This country is more divided than we thought. (laughs) It is. uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about good relations. No division. I mean, has anyone else brought up mayonnaise? (laughs) There are are households that live by mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. I I know a woman who makes mayonnaise sandwiches. Good night. Not even on cheese or ham or anything. It's just... Oh man, that's I don't know. I, I, I couldn't know. imagine. I, <laughs> so when, when I when I use it, I lick that spoon. Go ahead. Well, so anyway, the the the, the menu includes at our house chicken. Yeah. Uh, we'll have, chicken. So we'll have, yeah, we'll, yeah, baked chicken. We'll do baked chicken. We'll do. I mean, we're ham. talking Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, we're talking Thanksgiving. No one really likes the turkey there. Um, although, what? I, yeah, I yeah. So so we'll no do one likes whole, turkey. 
No, no, no. Too oh, wait, wait, is, that, is, is that a black thing? I, I, so I think that's more just specific to my family. I don't think that okay. that's a black thing. I've yeah. never heard that. <laughs> so, so we'll do two baked chickens. We've got a ham that we're going to, and the ham has to have, you know, the pineapples on it and stuff like that. Oh, we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do collard greens. We're going mm-hmm. to do potato salad. We'll do macaroni and cheese. And we'll do yams. And, I th- and we're going to do cabbage. Cabbage? Yeah, with bacon in it. I'm all for that, but I've never had it. Thanksgiving. Okay. So you'll have chicken. You won't have turkey. No, there'll, there'll be no turkey. Now, my mother-in-law's well, house, whole, there will be turkey. You have no turkey. We have four turkeys. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. We have turkey mm-hmm. dressing. Nice. Or oh, yeah. We'll have, yeah, we'll have that, too. Yeah, we'll, I, I forgot cool. that, but yes. Uh, what, chicken dressing? Uh, turkey dressing, but with chicken. Well, how's that? How's that work? <laughs> no, I get it. It is confusing, but you know, we just, how do you make it? If you don't have a turkey. Oh, so we don't put it in. We don't, we don't put it inside the bird. We just outside in the pan. But how do you make it? Oh, just, what, they, yeah, just, you know, you put the, so, oh, you know what? So we also don't do like original, like stuffing from scratch or we do use the stove top box stuff. stuff. Yeah. Well, we use the stove top box stuff. And then you buy a bottle of turkey gravy. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, this is you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel there may be stuff going on in the streets after this comes. <laughs> we have turkey stuffing or dressing, as it's called in the south. Um, yams, sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, creamed onions. Oh, or something else. Any kind of like um, green bean casserole dish. Any kind yeah, of there's creamy something corn. green. Oh, there's something mm-hmm. green. Yeah. Of <laughs> and then the cranberry, and you know the great cranberry debate, is Mrs. Bennett makes this cranberry, um, what it's called, cranberry something, um, mm-hmm. made with fresh cranberries that her mother made. Right. I want I want the can, the ocean the can. spray can. Mm-hmm. It shakes, you know, the one that when you take it out of the can, it still has the ridges in it. Yeah, yeah, and you, you slice the by can. the ridges. Exactly. Yeah. She just can't stand that because she makes I, I'm, cr- yeah, cranberry I'm sure Mrs. ring. Bennett's- yeah, I'm sure Mrs. Bennett's cranberry dish is delightful, but I'm like you. I prefer the can. You know, one of my arguments on this is um, I'm putting gravy on everything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so whether that cranberries out of a can or made from a bag of fresh cranberries, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter <laughs> to me. I put gravy on everything except dessert. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Now, the other big debate in our house is how long do you eat thanksgiving leftovers because to me i eat them until they're gone even if it's a whole week and a half it doesn't matter yeah Yeah. uh sierra is like after two days it's disgusting it's time to throw it out i'm the don't touch the food don't throw it out it's as good as long as it's in the refrigerator we eat it until it's gone but your leftovers are chicken right correct not turkey you make it you make a chicken sandwich oh yeah absolutely chicken sandwich you don't use mayonnaise no, no, no. Can't do that. No, mustard. <laughs> wow. Because I think almost as much as Thanksgiving dinner the day after, uh-huh. go in there, grab that cold turkey, mm-hmm. cranberry, mm-hmm. little dressing, mayonnaise, <laughs> and cold gravy. Nice. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a mess. Throw a sandwich together. But it's not, and you, you know, I'm with you. You eat it till it's all gone. And not much better, because in that weekend, you got Michigan, Ohio State. I'm interested to see if Alabama can put it secondary together. Right. They've been, they've been getting drilled. They just do not look that strong. And Georgia looks almost overwhelming. 
Well, see, and that's the thing. If there was ever a year for Georgia, this is the year. And I, and as much as I want to keep believing, mm-hmm. want to see it, uh, I want to see it, but I got to see it. You know, I want to see it. Yeah. Got to see yeah. it. The other thing, I, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not because I think they lost like three games. But Wisconsin is playing very strong football, and looks like they'll win that whatever that thing's called, the Western Division or whatever, the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and they will end up playing Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, and they're playing very well. Late, huh? mm-hmm. Could play spoiler. Get Cincinnati in there. But, you know, Thanksgiving, turkey, gravy, dressing, cranberry, football. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Isn't it? Isn't it? Best time of the year. Makes you forget how the country's being wrecked. All right. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk with John Hinderocker soon. Right. Okay. <laughs> there you go. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Hey, what's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? We're all thinking about that around mm-hmm. this time of year. Definitely. Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. Oh, I was thinking eating cranberry sauce is easier than opening it. But getting a policy with Policy Genius is also easier than opening Very it. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Certainly easier than getting a turkey. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, able to afford it, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're looking for something to do while the family's running a turkey trot, we used to do turkey trots all the time, mm-hmm. you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why do you want to compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week, thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. So how's it work? Getting started is easy. First, head to PolicyGenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. So, head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, it's time to jump in with John Hinderocker, one of the founders of Powerline and the president of the Center of the American Experiment. John, thank you for your time today. Always a pleasure. I've been reading your posts. Very interesting. What are we doing about oil and gas? Why, why are we crucifying the oil and gas industry? At least it seems to me that's what Biden's doing. You know, it's it, but we it, were what like a year ago we were energy independent, were we not? Right. And gasoline was half the price. Right. What changed? What happened? You know, and of course, um, we 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 we've lived through a a moment of peak stupidity in which the Biden administration did everything it, it could do to suppress production of oil and gas here in the United States, yeah. which had booming under the Trump administration. And then when that created yeah. problems, they were begging to uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia, <laughs> asking them to produce more. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But I think the fundamental point, there's a lot of things you could say about this, Bill, but I think the fundamental point is that for at least the last 20 years, the Democrats have wanted high gas prices. They've wanted high oil prices. 
they've in their candid moments they they admit it and and the reason they want those prices is because they subscribe to this myth that uh, fossil fuels are a threat to the to the Earth's climate, and therefore uh, using fossil fuels is a bad thing. And and they what they want to do is to price them out of the market. Yeah, and it's to, to facilitate a transition to God knows what you know windmills and solar panels that usually don't work and batteries that don't exist, you know, and so forth. Um, but, but the problem is you can't run for office on a platform of, look at that $4 a gallon gasoline. I did that, you know. Yeah, I no, you on, can't. No. I did well, that. that on, in fact, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's like, let's go, Brandon. You know, people will have yeah. those stickers of Joe Biden saying, I did that, pointing to the price on the gas pump, right? But Joe Biden can't say it. Because uh, because he get he'd get evicted from the White House if he did, and so that we're in this weird situation where the Democrats want high gas and oil prices, but they can't admit it. Yeah, well, it's not helping them in the polls, is it? That's another one of your posts. Extraordinary, right? Record like forty years Republicans. Well, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, you look at the, the most shocking thing to me was that Rasmussen likely voter poll that showed the Republicans up by thirteen points in the generic congressional preference. We've never seen numbers like that. There was a Washington Post ABC News poll that I'm sure you saw that had the Republicans up by 10 in the generic preference. That was registered voters, not likely voters. And I looked at that because usually, I mean, if the Republicans are within a couple of points, it means they're going to have a big year um, right? And in, in the congressional preference. And, and I saw that plus 10 in the, in the ABC Washington Post poll. I thought, well, that's fantastic, but it could be an outlier. But then just a few days later, the Rasmussen poll came out likely voters plus 13. No. I mean, these are stunning numbers. Now, you know, as, as someone who's been around a while now, I said, now let's see if other Republicans could blow this, you know. So some will try. They'll overreach. Oh, I, I wish the election was next week. Oh, I know. No kidding. It's a long time. By the way, I, I find very odd this whole discussion of, you know, succession and, and Joe Biden and Kamala and will he run again? And let me just be candid. Will he run again? Of course he won't run again. I, I don't know that he'll finish this term. He's in the, he's in bad shape. I don't try to be mean here. He's just, you know, he's bad shape. A lot of people that age, that's my age, are. And, you know, things don't get better if you get older. And he's in really bad shape. I yeah. Mean, him on video time after yeah. time. You know, his frailty when you see him just walking. I mean, yeah. He, you know, the presidency is hard on on the people that hold that office, and he is obviously he does not have the reserves of strength and energy, no, no, mental acuity that you got to have to fulfill that office. No, I, but you're absolutely right, Bill. I don't think there's a person in the world who thinks that uh, Joe Biden is running in 2024, and and most of us are skeptical that he's going to be around in 2024. Yeah, I heard a Democrat say there's talk about. Have you heard this? Re- replacing Kamala, kind of just asking her to leave, go back to the Senate or an opportunity to be in the Senate, at, at which she was performing better or at least thought to be so. Pick a, somebody else to be vice president who's plausible, and then you're ready when Biden falls apart, if he falls apart, or when his term ends. Well, this is the hot rumor in Washington, D.C. Um, I don't believe it for a minute. I mean, I don't see any way... In my opinion, what the Democrats are trying to do 
is hold things together until the midterm elections. They, they, you know, Biden's campaign was based on a return to normalcy, right? That was the idea. Let's get things back to normal in Washington. And, and so they don't want. And the soul of the country and the soul of the country. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, it was, that's what he said every time. Hey, whatever that means. Yeah. They, don't, they don't want turmoil that can't be denied. You know, they, they want the pretense. It's all okay. Everything's going fine. Nothing to see here. And the press, of course, helps as best it can with with that kind of messaging. I don't think they want to do anything as bizarre and as and as obviously indicative that the ship of state is sinking. You know, as to kick out the vice president. I don't see that happening after the midterms. Then, then I think maybe who knows. Well, okay. See, I mean, I think people like Mark Penn, Larry Summers have to look at this and say, this is crazy. You just keep shooting yourself in the foot every day. Things get worse every day. Um, you know, uh, virtually everything he has touched of significance, he's made worse. The border, oil and gas. Afghanistan, um, let's not forget. Afghan- oh, my gosh. Oh, I mean, it's, it's easy. To, how, do you, how do you forget something as large as Afghanistan? Yeah. Because there are the several other really large things. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable how uh, badly things have turned in less than a year. It's still been less yeah. than a year uh, since since inauguration day, let alone. Yes, sir. He's had a chance to really do much. Now, what's your beef with Alec Baldwin? <laughs> are you you're just coming across a little bit as an anti gun guy? No, no I'm, I'm, a I'm kidding. Oh no, no, as I'm you kidding. know, though, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I'm you're a novice. Armed. I'm kind of a gun. I own some guns. You're armed. You're armed. I know that. Um, but no, I think I think like anybody, I, I think uh, to back up the overwhelming majority of firearm owners in the United States are very careful. You know, I grew up in South Dakota, where the majority of the adult population, at least the adult male population, hunts. Everybody yep. had shotguns. Everybody went pheasant hunting. Everybody went duck hunting. And hunter safety uh, was a really fundamental thing. By the time you were a 14-year-old kid, you knew a lot about gun safety. And, and the same thing with handguns in today's world. I mean, the vast majority of firearms owners are very safety conscious. And it, it just offends those of us who, who stick up for gun rights uh, and defend gun owners when somebody like Alec Baldwin does something as absurdly, outrageously negligent uh, as to uh, take a gun that he has not even checked, uh, which is violation number one, pointed at another human being, which is violation number two, and pull the trigger. He broke every fundamental rule of uh, of firearm safety. It's really shocking. How's that going to come out? You think? I don't know. I mean, there's there have been a lot of efforts to to spin it and to point the finger of blame in various directions. You know, the last thing I saw, Bill, you might have noticed I wrote about it on Powerline last night. Is there's a lawsuit by the script supervisor who did not get shot. And so, you know, whether she's got a cause of action is highly dubious, uh, whether Gloria Allred is representing her. So, yeah, you know, yeah. they take it for what it's worth. But what's interesting is that in her complaint, she alleges that it is not true that they were rehearsing a shooting scene and that it was not in the script uh, for him to pull that revolver and, and point it at somebody and pull the trigger. 
and and so it's going to be very interesting. I, th- I think a lot depends, Bill, on 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 what was really going on, and that's something hey. that, that that reporters seem to have been kind of incurious about. Was he really? Yeah, no, I know. In which he was supposed to be pointing the gun at the camera and pulling the trigger. Um, I, I don't know. Well, let me end with this on politics. Um, talked about Democrat politics and some of the things, rumors going around. They got to do something after 22. They got to. But we'll see. But Republicans, you notice Chris Christie stepping out and hitting his former friend or friend, Donald Trump. He, yeah. You know, it didn't seem like a hard hit. And if you look at the transcript, it doesn't look hard, but it was. It was. He said, you know, stop looking at the past. And, you know, I've heard several people say the president, former president, calls up people and says, gee, you did a great job on TV and all, but why didn't you talk about 2020 election? And this is what Christie's talking about. My question is, is it safe for a Republican to come out and be critical or mildly critical or somewhat critical of Donald Trump? Is it safe politically? Well, it better be or we're in trouble, Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know? you know, and I think my view of this is probably very similar to yours. Uh, I think that Trump was a very good president, uh, our best since Reagan, in my opinion, rather mm-hmm. easily. Uh, he had an unusual uh, background and personality in large part because he was not a professional politician. He got to be age 70 or whatever without running for office. So so he was not a professional politician to the extent that he was his, his personality was was different. I I enjoyed it a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, sometimes he, said he, he didn't do a lot of stupid things, but he said he said some stupid things. Uh, but a lot of the time I, I enjoyed his personality. But it is time to move on. Uh, voters, um, what's the history of a guy losing a race like uh, Trump did in 2020, being out of office and then and then running again successfully? Did, did Grover Cleveland do that? <laughs> is that what happened with him? This is what Christie's saying is, uh, at least I heard him a couple of times. And one thing he said was, I... Uh, I ran, I won, then I lost, and I came back and I won again. Trump uh, ran and won, and then he ran again and lost. I may have I may have garbled that. What he was saying is he had a better record of coming back than Trump. Um, is it prudent for the Republican Party to nominate someone other than Donald Trump? Well, I think so. I think that voters never want to look back. The last thing the, <laughs> the voters want is rehash an election from four years ago to refight mm-hmm. the battle path. The, mm-hmm. the voters will have moved on. We're going to have a very different set of issues in front of us in 2024 after four years of a Democratic administration. It's going to be a very different situation. And um, uh, and, and I think we need a different candidate. I, I don't doubt that there are a certain percentage of voters who would turn out for Trump but wouldn't turn out for anyone else. That's probably true, although we saw in Virginia that there are plenty of Trumpist voters who will happily turn out for somebody else. But the point I would make, uh, Bill, is that while there are some in that category, there's also plenty in the other category of people who would vote for a different Republican but won't vote for Trump. I'll tell you, if I I talk to some of my friends in the Twin Cities uh, – Suburbs, uh, especially some of the women, I, I, I could I could start counting on counting them, you know, people who if, if we nominate a Marco Rubio or, a, you know, take your pick, they'll happily vote for the Republican. But if we but if we go back to Donald Trump, 
you know, they're going to vote for the Democrats. So, you know, every 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 president puts together his own winning coalition and it's never exactly the same two times in a row. I think it's I think it's vital for the Republican Party to, to move on and look forward and to nominate somebody different. I have gone this far. I have told people who have said, like Ron DeSantis, he has said that if, if Trump runs, he won't. I've said, I think that's a mistake. You know, you can love him, and love him and respect him and go out and compete against yeah. you know, see what happens. Well, DeSantis is a great example of a guy um, who has, who shares Trump's virtues. And he can, he could so easily go out there and compete with Trump and he, and he can say, you want a guy who will push back against the press? Well, you know, right. I am, you know, that's me. I'll, I'll do that. And I think that Trump would have a very hard time uh, going after DeSantis in the way that he likes to kind of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. political opponents. I think he'd have a hard time going after some of the other people who are uh, thinking about running. Uh, Tim Scott, who's apparently raking in tons of money. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, tons of money. All right, let me ask you that. I said that was the last question. I actually have one more. So uh, it's amazing uh, election in Virginia. Very skillfully done by Youngkin. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, really skillfully. You know, Youngkin is one of these guys. He went into the business world, got rich, decided to go into politics. And usually that's a bad formula. You know? Yeah, man. We've seen that here in Minnesota and other states. Most of the time, doesn't work that well. I was stunned when I started seeing young kid in action and how skillful he was. Yeah. Man, oh man, he was a good candidate. Yeah, no, a lot of these business guys say, hey, you know, a lot, first of all, a lot of people make $100 million. Just think they're smart because they right. made $100 million. And if you're smart about that, you're smart about anything. Politics is easy. You just got to say this and they crash and burn. Right. But this guy, I don't know. It's instinct or, or study or something, but uh, really handled it very well. And then those numbers in New Jersey. I mean, this is what I, you know, I follow this stuff for a living. Two days before the election, I didn't know the name of the Republican. I didn't know his name until the election night, Bill. Yeah, Chickiardi. I'm still not sure of it. But New Jersey is as blue as you can be, and he almost won. Yeah. Okay, how about Minnesota? Is it is it getting purple, red? Uh, Minnesota has in recent years. Is it hopeless? Years, is it hopeless? No, no. It's if it was if it was hopeless, I wouldn't have my job, Bill. As you know, running running the policy organization on the right here in Minnesota. But but in recent in, in modern times, Minnesota has kind of been Lucy Brown on the football. You know, re, the Republicans, the conservatives, think we're just on the brink. You know, we we have a good cycle. We. You know, we think Minnesota is really turning. Next thing you know, we're going to be purplish red. And then the tide goes back again. And one of the things that that we know from our polling, and as you know, my organization, American Experiment, polls every quarter in Minnesota for our magazine. I think Minnesota, we've polled a wide variety of, of policy issues over the last three or four years. I don't think we've ever polled an issue where the liberal position does better than the conservative position. And, and if you ask every, every quarter for, for, as part of our demographic questions, we ask, do you consider yourself, you know, conservative, moderately conservative, middle of the road, et cetera. And, and, and consistently there are significantly more people in Minnesota who say they're conservative than who say they're liberal. So one of these days, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Days, that, oh. 
that that incipient majority is gonna is gonna is gonna put two and two together and start voting for more conservative candidates. Well, I noticed the Iowa poll the other day had Trump ahead of Biden in a, you know, a, a imaginary rematch by nine points. So when I see that for not Minnesota, but the Twin Cities, then I'll believe it's changing. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see. I mean, our current governor is up for re-election next year. Um, he can be had. He, he, he polls in our, in our polling. He's at like 39% on riots and crime. Uh, 52% on COVID. He, he can be had, but he can only be had by a good candidate. Yeah. And, and so that's the question is, is will the Republican candidate turn out to be strong enough to, uh, to do the job? Have you heard anything about this? I, boy, I really got to let you go, but because I'm looking at it about how these states have reacted to the critical race theory by legislation that they've written and the problems with it. Yeah. Some of it. One of the things I've been saying all along, Bill, is that um, you know, legislation may be nice, but it's not going to do the trick. It, it, yeah. it, you cannot pass a law that's going to be that's going to effectively keep critical race theory and everything that that stands for out of the classroom. What, what it takes is two things. Number one, vigilant parents who keep an eye on what's actually happening in the classroom. And number two, uh, school boards who are conservative yeah. or at least not crazy and who are and who represent the parents. Yeah. So the most vital elections going on across the country with all due respect to Congress and so forth. But really, the most vital elections in the long run, I think, are the school board elections. I agree. And, and this year, one of the things I've been saying, Bill, this year we saw the tremors. We saw conservatives running for school boards all across the country. We saw a minority of them break through and actually win. Most of them lost. Next year, this year was the tremors. Next year, we're going to see the earthquake. Next year, we conservatives have got a whole year to get to get ourselves organized. This year, we were driving awareness about CRT and, and what's been happening in the classroom. And of course, mask mandates. But, but now we got a year to get organized. And I think next year, we're going to see a lot of uh, conservative wins in school board races. And that that's what we really need. So glad about the discovery of the school board. You know, I was secretary of education for years. I gave speeches. People would say, what, what should I do? I said, run for the school board. And they'd say, run for the school board. And I said, would say, yes. I said, uh, the work is horrible. You know, you deal with every sort of unpleasant issue hitting the schools, teenagers, you know, everything from bathrooms to, you know, uh, curriculum. Uh, and the pay is nothing. I said, the only thing is I can say as a Catholic, if you serve on a school board for two years, you get, you don't go to purgatory. You go right, you go right up because <laughs> it is purgatory, <laughs> but people are running for school boards. They see that it matters. It's consequential. It's so as long as the FBI doesn't get after them. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Wow. You talk about waking the sleeping giant, you know, no like, kidding. That yeah. was a horrible mistake, Bill, a horrible blunder. When the administration collaborated with that stupid national organization, what is it, NSB? National School Board, yeah. No, they, they did that setup, you know, where Merrick Garland, they wrote the letter and Merrick Garland told the FBI to get involved. And 
man, oh man, did that blow up like a cigar in their face. I, I Go ahead. You keep that up. You, you send the FBI to some school board meetings and we'll see a revolt the likes of which it's going to remind us of 1776. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, John. Listen, thank you very much. Anything else on your mind? Last comment, Bill. You were way ahead of your time. If you were telling people to run for the school board in the 1980s, I you know, I, over the last year, people say to me all the time, what can I do? I got to get involved. I got to get off the bench. What can I do? My number one answer is run for your local school board. Or if you don't want to do it, find somebody who does. Get behind them. Get a group. Fund them. Knock on doors. Get Get lawn signs. But the school board is what you got to do. You were 30 years ahead of your time. Yeah. The rest of us had caught on a whole lot sooner. Well, I was there. So one of the reasons I knew about it is I was there and I saw where the points of leverage are. And I, I you know, and I saw when I when I got the job as secretary of education, this array of organizations that were there just to influence and push the, the education department around uh, education establishment, uh, the blob, I called it. Uh, after a movie from the 50s, Steve McQueen movie as a teenager. Um, and then you know, the National School Board Association became part of the blob. The so-called Parent Teacher Association became part of the blob. All these places got, you know, uh, influenced and appropriated and, you know, signed up. And so COVID, right? COVID gave people a window into what was going on in their kids' classrooms. And they said, wait a minute, didn't know about that. So agree with you 100%. Thank you, John. We know how busy you are. We Thank know what you, your hourly rate used to be. So we're we're very grateful for you coming on and not charging us a, a cent. But we'll buy you lunch in Washington. <laughs> if Washington's ever reopened. Anyway. It's open. And you don't have to wear a mask if you go to the pub. All right? All right. Sounds good. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right, let's welcome Elaine Bennett to the show. Uh, mm-hmm. And Claude, I'm going to step out and you will conduct this interview with your friend. Yeah, I'll take it from here. You'll take it. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Claude. Happy Thanksgiving, Mrs. Bennett. How are you? I, I am just great. I'm so happy to see your face. It's been a while and mm-hmm. I know you're looking forward to Thanksgiving with your wonderful family. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're having folks over. My sister is coming over, my brother-in-law, my niece, uh, two friends that normally come over. Mom and brother aren't, and that's fine. Uh, you know, I'll, I will go past their house in the morning. Um, but yeah, we're having everybody over. So well, it'll be, it'll be fun. this is, it's a thankful time. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a day that we have cherished in the Bennett household mm-hmm. for a long time. When my boys were not able to join us, as mm-hmm. Joe Bennett was not, uh, when he was in the Marines and serving out in um, in the uh, San Diego area, Hugh Hewitt was kind enough, he and his wife, to invite Joe and some of his platoon members to their house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. I was just a bit nervous because I wanted to be sure that Joe conducted himself accordingly, mm-hmm. as I have tried through the years to impress some certain rules. At the dinner table. And sometimes these rules were followed and sometimes they were not. Uh So I made a list, Claude, I guess it was 10 years ago. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Maybe maybe eight years ago. And uh, Bill shared this list on Mm -hmm. Morning in America. And he asked me to repeat it this Thanksgiving day. 
And by the way, not only did Dr. Bennett ask you to repeat it, I've been getting emails from the podcast listeners since September asking if you were going to come on the show just to share the dinner table rules for Thanksgiving. And so it's a wow. huge hit. Every I mean, we've, we've had requests for us to post it on the Facebook page for us to have you back on the show. And so obviously we have to, we have to do it. Well, I'm honored. I am honored that, that this, um, these rules were that, um, impressive. Uh, and I'm happy to share them. I hope my boys are listening this morning. Um, it's not a long list of rules. It's 12, but number one is napkin in the lap. Right. Which is one I normally forget, but I've got to remember that first one. Napkin goes napkin in the lap. Napkin in the lap, in the lap before you pick up your fork, before you pick up your glass. Mm -hmm. Number two, drink from the glass or the glasses to the right over the knife. Okay. Can't go wrong. Now, Mrs. Bennett, this is one that's not only for the consumer at the table, but for the one who sets the table, because you taught me this. I did not know that that's where the glass goes to the right by the knife. And so knife. this is a kind of a dual thing. And so if you're preparing the table or yes. something, so it, it's kind of, we've got to work together on that. These are rules that make it easy for everyone. And they are centuries old. Nice. Um, so we are going to try to keep the these long uh, standing traditions going glass over the knife bread and butter and salad plate is to the left over the fork so your code mrs hamlet taught me this in dc schools bread meal water bmw bread meal water that's a phrase we used bread to the left meal in the middle water to the right And at our luncheons for best friends and best men students, they all got it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) had it down cold. Privileged kids had a much harder time, especially my sons, still working on it. Okay. All right. They're going to get it before they turn 40, I hope. Yes, they will. They will. (laughs) Number four, no talking with your mouth full. Oh, yes. Not, Not ever a good thing. Number five, try very hard not to spill your food on the table Mm -hmm. or up the front of your shirt (laughs) and especially on your tie. Now, my boys are genetically predisposed (laughs) to this behavior. I was going to say this sounds like this this sounds like a rule that's directed to a to someone who I work with closely on a weekly basis, especially the tie. Yes, Claude, I think I think you are very uh, perceptive there. Number six, you wait until the lady of the house is seated and has raised her fork. Okay. if you whoever is the hostess, especially if it's your mother or your grandmother, (laughs) everyone waits respectfully. Okay. until she has raised her fork. Now, also, and I know this will be happening at your house, you wait for a prayer or a blessing of the food. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you wait for your hostess to, to seat, be seated, and you look to her or to the host or to whomever will be blessing the food, and you join in that blessing. Mm-hmm. Be respectful of your your, I guess your guests or your family. Sure. Number eight, do not blow your nose at the table. If there's any need to blow uh, your nose, you excuse yourself and you go to the powder room. Okay. That's an old fashioned term <laughs> where ladies would say, I must powder my nose. 
Men don't necessarily need to powder their nose, but they should definitely blow their nose <laughs> in the nearest so-called powder room. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Number nine, do not place the wine bottle, if you're having wine, on the floor by your chair. <laughs> now, that is a habit of the elder Mr. Bennett. Okay, I was going to ask. This seems yeah. to be something that was inserted. Mm-hmm. In personal We're life. working on that one. <laughs> We're working on that one. Number 10, do not punctuate your sentences in any way with your silverware. Ah, got it. Especially, and we hope this isn't happening, but it could. Mm-hmm. This year, if you're having a political discussion, <laughs> do not wave your knife around or jab your fork directly in front of you. Number 11, always, always personally thank the hostess and tell her the food was delicious. Mm-hmm. That will warm her heart. Now, that- I would imagine if there's a situation where multiple people are bringing food, mm-hmm. if you know of the individual who cooked a specific dish, thank them as well. That is a good point. Okay. Yes. Seek out in, in situations which are really wonderful where different people bring different dishes. Mm-hmm. You will warm that person's heart by saying that green bean casserole was just delicious. Nice. And it's especially important to say how delicious the food is. If you have left enough food on the floor under your chair for the family dog's next meal, the hostess will not be as offended if you have complimented her food explicitly. Number 12, if you want your mother to go to her grave or if she's already passed on and she's watching you from up above and you want her to feel peaceful and as if she has been a successful mother, you offer to clear the table, take out the garbage, and always follow up with a handwritten thank you note, second choices email, within three days. This is important if it's a hostess, you're being a guest at someone's table, or if it's your own mother. Oh, okay. I have on file all handwritten notes I have received from youngsters who shared our dinner and especially our Thanksgiving dinner. And that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.